you're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. It's remarkable that there are so many people who make a living supposedly bringing you information, and they're supposed to have an excellent grasp of what's going on, of the facts, and, and they should be discerning in their judgment, right? The, the news media, the journalists, the experts in different fields, they're supposed to be able to enlighten the public. And yet when we see very obvious things happening, we can see clear cause and effect. They're always the ones, the corporate media, the so-called expert class, the elites, that can't draw the most straightforward conclusion. You see this with the huge spike in murders and violent crime last year in the United States, which we'll certainly be talking about. You see this uh, with stories like the Hunter Biden laptop, which we'll be discussing, where just now NPR has come out and said, yeah, you know what? We we probably shouldn't have said that that was debunked. They've still never apologized for the Russia collusion madness, which is the most absurd and, and insane uh, conspiracy theory to have ever gripped at least in the modern era the the media in a way that changed the the future of the country i mean the the way that the corporate media were able to come together and do everything in their power to make sure that donald trump wouldn't win re-election including by spewing all kinds of lies and acting like they're dumber than they actually are uh it was quite a sight to behold we'll we'll be discussing much of that today on the show Um, But as you know, if you trust the gatekeepers, if you trust the people that are able to present you some information as they see fit, uh, you're going to end up being poorly informed, misinformed. And social media sites are no better. Uh, The left wants to silence and remove any voices they don't agree with. Twitter and Facebook were supposed to be open platforms. I don't need their content moderators acting like the op-ed section of The New York Times, Okay, Neither do you. So instead of letting social media sites revoke your right to free speech, how about revoking their right to your data? This is what I do. I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN anonymizes a lot of your online presence by hiding your IP address. That makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. And ExpressVPN couldn't be easier to set up. You just tap one button on your phone or computer and you're protected. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and internet bad guys. It's finally time to say no to censorship and take back your online privacy at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's right. Just go right now online to expressvpn.com slash buck. By visiting that link, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. That's expressvpn.com slash buck to protect your data today are you seeing it clearly enough yet that the biden administration is all rooted in built upon a fraud i told you this was going to be a trojan horse presidency i I told you that this would be a case in which we'd see that the president of the united states was just doing the bidding of the far left while pretending to be something other than a leftist progressive authoritarian and that that's why at this time in this moment biden was the perfect candidate for the democrats because he's such a phony he's such a fraud that it was able to fool enough people sadly in a pandemic year and now we're stuck with this guy 
Now we've got somebody who is, I mean, he's lying all the time. He's lying about all kinds of stuff. His whole presidency, in effect, is built on a lie. And, and even people who you would think would be on his team are starting to say, yeah, you know, he, he is a Trojan horse. How many times you can go back and, and see, I'm, I'm sure there are even whole episodes of the Buck Sexton show that we titled with something like Biden is a Trojan horse, that that was the whole point here. Was the, it was a, a fundamental dishonesty about the Biden administration that, oh, you know, Joe's been in politics so long. He's, you know, he's good old blue collar Joe. You can trust him. Here are some political reporters talking about this one. And, and even they and remember, Politico's Democrats, they're pretty left wing. They're very left wing in many cases. They're saying, yeah, it's true. Biden is a Trojan horse. Play 10. He's right. President Biden has been operating as a progressive. And he, the reason is, one, we, we spent all, what, two years of the campaign, um, him being the most moderate of the Democratic Party. After all of those debates and talking with Bernie and having, you know, figuring out that Democratic Party platform, <laughs> the progressives got a lot of wins. And the reason we still, we, the collectively, not Tara and I, talk about him as a moderate is because his decades of operating as a moderate, but also because he's like an old white guy and he doesn't look like a progressive, right? People, we have this stereotype in our head of what a progressive looks like, looks like, and sounds like. And he and he talks more calmly than Bernie Sanders, who's also an old white man, who's obviously a progressive. Um, but he doesn't. They have a very different way of of approaching things, right? Bernie Sanders is very like in your face, and Joe Biden's not. He's a little. There's more dulcet hey, tones. And you know, I, I keep asking Eugene to write this piece. Um, you know, maybe a Saturday playbook. Trump was right. Oh, my God. You're gonna, you are not getting me in trouble. <laughs> Expect that story and, and all of the outrage that will follow when we use the words Trump was right. <laughs> you trying to get Biden is a Trojan horse for progressives. Trump was right. Biden is a Trojan horse for progressives. Uh, that was Tara Palmieri of, of Politico there. And I know that they're saying it there. They're trying to be a little provocative. They're joking around with each other. But it's obvious that's actually what's happened. That is what's going on in the country right now. Biden is a Trojan horse. The reason that the Democrats put Biden forward, the reason the Democrat establishment swooped in, you remember, it was looking like it was going to be Bernie or Warren. And then the Democrat establishment decided to turn the screws, decided to bring the pressure to bear. And right in time, you had people drop out just so that Joe Biden could get the necessary votes in the primary and become the candidate because they saw that while the country was reeling from a pandemic and while people were scared, this pretense of the grandfatherly figure that you could trust, you know, yeah, you know, Joe Biden, he sort of just just stares into the camera and uses canned phrases. And, you know, how scary can this guy be? You, you feel like he's scared of the stares going up to Air Force One. I mean, how, how bad? You know, everyone understands that the Democrat Party is further left than it has ever been in my lifetime, certainly, and, and I argue at least in the last 50 or 60 years relatively to, to where the rest of the country is. The Democrat Party has gone far left. The country is not with them, so what, how do you win? How do you win in a country where 30% are lunatic progressive leftists, but you need to get to 51% 
to force your will upon the other 49 percent. How do you do that? Well, you put forward someone like Joe Biden, who is dishonest about what he's really going to do, what he really stands for. You know, you look at all these executive orders. He didn't say he was going to shut down the Keystone XL pipeline during the candidacy. He he didn't say he was going to make biological males able to compete against uh, biological females, also known as males competing against females in sports. He didn't say that. I mean, you go down a whole list of things. He didn't promise to kick the border wide open. And look at what we're dealing with. He didn't say he was going to spend, try to spend in the first year of his presidency, uh, what, a, a few trillion dollars? A few trillion dollars on, on items that, if they were bipartisan in nature, if it was just about COVID relief or just about getting the economy back up and running, getting out of the way, helping people who need help, they would get Republican votes. They got multiple packages passed when Republicans were in the majority in the last year of the Trump presidency. So this is now a a matter of fact. Republicans will play ball with the other side to help the American people. Democrats are like our way or the highway. You know, you can you can have a nice warm glass of shut the heck up. That's that's their version of outreach, of unity, of a moderate. And you're seeing this with with everything that Joe Biden's doing on, on on a major level. Everything that's going on here with this Biden administration lines up with exactly what we expected um here's even you know chris christie is a big critic of donald trump in many ways has been a big critic of donald trump here he is on the i told you yesterday i mean the, the title of our show uh, yesterday was that the biden administration's lying to you about the georgia voting law the biden administration's lying to you about it they are they're lying to you about it, it you don't have to take just my word for it here's chris christie play 11 So here he is doing exactly what he accused President Trump of doing um, back during the campaign and doing it in a way that is just brutally bad. I mean, even The Washington Post gave him four Pinocchios for the statements that he made. The Washington Post guy, you can imagine how it pained them to have to do that to their their hero, this Democratic president. Listen, the, the Georgia law is a reasonable law. It is a smart law. And I'll tell you something else. You know, it still stuns me. And I had this fight in New Jersey and lost it because of my Democratic legislature. I had to show ID to go into an office building for an appointment, but I don't have to show ID to vote. And now you have to show if the Democrats get their way a covid passport to go pretty much anywhere. That's what they're pushing for. They're hoping the private sector will do their dirty work for them. But remember, the government has many ways of coercing the private sector. And so they're just using them as an agent here of the uh, of the control and an agent of the oppression that the government doesn't want to actually have placed at its at its feet, doesn't want to be held responsible for. Yeah, Biden's the whole Georgia push. They're just lying. They're lying about it. They're shamelessly lying about it. It doesn't matter. They don't care. Now, I bring this up for many reasons. One of them is that, do you remember how much they told you about how Trump was dishonest? How They they would run news stories. Oh, Trump has told 15,000 lies, they would say. You know, Trump is, and then you'd say, okay, what's, and and I sit here to say, you know, what was the lie that Trump told before the whole election thing came down and Trump believed that they had stolen the election from him? What was the thing that Trump said when he was president on a policy matter? 
that was an egregious lie the way Joe Biden is straight up lying about what's going on in Georgia. Just he's just being mendacious. It doesn't matter. You know, they, they talk about lies with Trump, and it was usually things like Trump saying he's the greatest or he's the best. He's lying. No, what's going on in Georgia is a lie that really matters. What's going on in Georgia is a problem, uh, meaning the, the lies about it is a problem. And yet the people that were so quick to tell you that their jobs were to speak truth to power and to separate fact from fiction overwhelmingly, not all of them, because it's so obvious. I mean, if, if you believe what Biden's saying about Georgia, you're just not very smart or very well informed. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people, a lot of people who voted for Biden who fall into that category. Uh, that that's the plan here to just keep going with it, keep pushing. It doesn't matter. They don't care. They believe it. Or even if they don't believe it, they know that it's useful for them politically. But there are many lies in and around this Biden administration already. And it's only going to get worse because their governance is incompetent. These people don't have a good vision for the country. Well, I think one lesson he learned is that putting the vice president in charge of working with these countries can be very effective. And that's one reason why he asked Vice President Harris to lead this effort in his administration to focus on trying to deal with the root causes of this migration. As the president said at his press conference, parents don't send their minor children on a multi-thousand mile hazardous journey as a frolic or detour. They do it because conditions where they are living are so desperate because of natural disasters, because of economic collapses, because of crime and violence. Conditions are so desperate that they feel like they have no choice. We can, our best way to attack this migration issue is to help these countries uh, rebuild their economies and make life in Guatemala, in El Salvador, in Honduras, uh, more uh, more uh, commodious for the people who live there. Uh, let people live their lives where they want to live their lives, in their home countries. That is what uh, Vice President Joe Biden worked on. That's now what Vice President Harris is going to work on on behalf of the administration. Oh, the help is on the way here. Help is on the way with the vice president. Help is on the way with the vice president. Oh, my. Yeah, she's going to fix this. It's going to make things more commodious, Ron Klain says. Let's make things more commodious in Central America. Uh, is Ron Klain a moron? I mean, you, you have to think for a second out loud about this. You, you have to ask the question, is he a moron? Yeah, the way we're going to fix this problem is we're going to fix Guatemala and Honduras and El Salvador. We're going to fix them so well that people in those countries would rather stay there than come to America when they have the choice of just showing up and staying in America forever. You know, there was a, I think it was a recent Gallup survey that suggested that there are at least 40 million people in Latin America who would come to who would come to America permanently tomorrow if they could. 40 million. I, I'm just wondering, did our Democrats is that the plan? Uh, I think it is, by the way. They just want to spread the 40 million out over the next, you know, 10 to 20 years. But I think that is the plan. And you have to wonder, what do they really think the likelihood is that they'll be able to turn around a Central American country ever, but in the next four years even? Let's just look at this in terms of an election cycle. Really, the, the plan here, the focus of the argument is going to be how do we make Guatemala stable, secure and happy as a country? 
Uh, that hasn't worked out in a lot of other places all over the world where we've tried it, including places where we've sent a lot of soldiers, spent billions and billions of dollars trying to rebuild for them. Still hasn't really worked. We're going to try to do this now. I mean, this is this is an unserious thing. An intelligent person doesn't say this out loud. Yeah, we're going to make things in those countries so much better. Really? Are we going to create stable rule of law, the most dynamic economy in the history of the world, a massive welfare state, incredible abundance and relative safety? And all? we're going to do that for Central American countries. Really? That's a magic trick he's talking about pulling. I mean, that's fantasy land stuff. But that's the White House chief of staff. Speaking about how, oh, Kamala Harris is going to work with these countries now to improve things. Notice how they also suggest that these countries, there's the only reason they're having problems is natural disasters, you know, economic issues that are, I'm sure, beyond beyond their control. I mean, here's if you're really wondering, uh, I mean, AOC, who is the spiritual leader of the Democratic Party today? She is the spiritual leader. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is, you know, still clings to power as a decrepit power mad old woman. I mean, but she does. But Pelosi uh, isn't the one that really speaks to the id. Does, does, she doesn't speak to the, the central part of the of the progressive left brain. AOC does. And here's where her mind is on this border issue. Play seven. But when you rip a baby out of the hands of a mother, you cannot draw the same comparison. And anyone who is trying to do that is doing a profound disservice to the cause of justice. So I don't want to excuse any of this, but I'm also, I don't think we should also get them twisted together because one is not the same and we cannot dust that under the rug. And by the way, those families are owed reparations, period. Reparations. You now are going to, according to the AOC view of the world, uh, you should be paying as a taxpayer in this country. You should have a debt, a financial debt to people that came into this country illegally, that violated, violated U.S. law. Uh, you should have to send them a, or, or the government should send them a check on your behalf. That's the mentality. And, and understand that's the mentality in so many ways of the Democrats right now. The Democrat Party believes, I mean, if you go ask a, a progressive, I mean, they'll probably say crazy stuff to you about a lot of things. And I can't be held responsible for the insanity they spew in your direction. But ask a progressive is Central America having problems right now because of the United States? Is, is it essentially all our fault? A lot of them will tell you, yes, that, that Central America is poor and lawless and violent. Uh, and by the way, not all of Central America, obviously, Costa Rica is doing well and you know, Panama is doing pretty well. And Nicaragua is actually a relatively safe country now. I mean, but the, the Northern Triangle countries, right, are, are they doing poorly as countries because of America? The answer the Democrats believe is yes. It's our fault, you see. It's always our fault because that then allows the preferred group to become victims. They have victim status and we are the victimizers 
as Americans. Therefore, we're responsible for making this right. We're responsible for improving the situation of all of these migrants. It's not that we're being kind and generous by taking them in. We owe it to them. We owe them. Now, AOC just touched on this mentality with the reparations for these migrant families. But I'm telling you, this is a much more widespread belief. And this is really at the center of the way the left views all American foreign policy, international relations. Remember Obama, all the bowing, all the apologizing for, you know, insufficient respect from the United States for Islamic countries or whatever throughout history. Remember all that? That's just symbolic. It's, it's emblematic of the way Democrats view U.S. foreign relations. We mess everything up. We're the bad guys. And we have to fix it. We're obligated to fix it. And if if the best way to fix it in their minds is to just allow anybody from these countries that we've messed up to come here and it's all on us. Great. Or it's our fault because of climate change. You know, they call them climate refugees sometimes, including from Central America, because there was a bad storm a year ago or two years ago or something. And so now it's and we look at the logic. We do the most damage to the environment, according to Americans, even though that's not uh, leftists, even though that's not true. But they'll say that, you know, we're the main reason for fossil fuel usage around the world. Therefore, we are responsible for the climate change that causes the climate refugees. It is really frustrating to try to have an honest and open conversation uh, in public about what's going on right now with uh, covid lockdowns and and the, the public health guidance, you know, they're telling us once again, oh, we've got to all be uh, terrified. We got another surge happening. And what do you think they're 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 claiming is the reason for the surge? Well, it's because of it's it's your fault. You see, it's not that this virus just has a life cycle that it goes through at different times in different places. And they really have no idea why it spreads the way it does at different times. They, they It's not that or there are so many different reasons for it that they can't pin it on one. No, it's it's we're not listening to Fauci enough. That's what they'll say. That's what they'll tell you. And if you have a problem with that, like I said, you're you're a bad person and they'll even shut you down. I can't tell you how many of these posts on social media I, I have where they'll it'll say for more CDC information, go to CDC.gov or for more covid information, go to the following website. And it's just meant to tell you Big Brother is watching you. That's what that's all about. You know, the social media companies have decided that they are firmly on the side of Fauciism and the little health Stalinist Fauci is a health policy Stalinist is out there and they're supporting him with everything that they can. Um, and of course, the tech companies, you know, just had a big rally. And so they're doing well. So they're they're fine during this lockdown. The tech workers, tech companies, they're just great. You know, if you've tried to share your political opinions about anything on social media lately, though, you know, it's really hard to have a civil conversation. Luckily, there's caucusroom.com. That's a social media network exclusively for conservatives. Caucusroom is an online community for conservatives to gather and engage locally. It's only real people who are verified conservatives who can become caucusroom members. But caucusroom will never share your information with anyone ever. The sign-up process ensures you're communicating with real conservatives in your neighborhood, no bots or trolls. It's a great way to get engaged on issues where you can make the biggest difference locally. At Caucus Room, you can participate in live virtual meetings that are so secure the platform played host to over a dozen virtual Republican Party conventions last year. Also, share news, jokes, and find ways to get involved with causes near you without the fear of Silicon Valley overlords stepping in and stopping you. 
Caucus Room is made by conservatives for conservatives to get organized and make a difference. Join the Buck Sexton Listeners Group right now on caucusroom.com. That's right. There's a Buck Sexton Listeners Group on caucusroom.com. That's C-A-U-C-U-S-R-O-O-M.com to interact with other listeners from Team Buck just like you. We heard the CDC director talk of impending doom as people loosen up and gather. Do you share her concern? Well, you know, I, I don't know if I would use the word impending doom. I, I, you know, if, if you talk to, to Dr. Olensky, which we do every single day, the point she's making is a very valid point. We're seeing the cases that have plateaued over the last couple of weeks, and now they're starting to inch up. So the point that she was making was very valid. It's a very valid point to say there's impending doom. Maybe not use those words because that's psychotic, but, you know, it's valid to say, you know, bad things are coming. So, you know, you know what you do, everybody? You know how we you know how we stop this virus right in its tracks? I mean, you know, maybe not because it's been terrible for over a year now. But, you know, what, what, what we say is mitigation measures. You need those mitigation measures. Okay. Going to go back into this now, huh? The state that got rid of the mask mandate, Texas, doing fine. Cases going down. States that keep them, like New York and New Jersey, California, they're having a really rough time right now. But still, even, even when you're running the experiment and it shows you the results, when the lockdown left doesn't like the results, they ignore them. They just put Fauci back on TV to talk about the measures. Oh, okay. Well, this is this is where I'm I'm going to have to tell you that if we keep listening to these people, there we got we got a couple of problems here. Um, if we keep listening to them, this is not going to stop for another year. And I know that sounds extreme, but it's going to keep happening for now. That doesn't mean it'll be the same for the next twelve months. But they're going to be right in the background, ready to tell you, first of all, you're, you're wearing masks for another year easily. If, if we continue to listen to these people, we're wearing masks for another year. And remember, masks are also a symbol. And with masks comes a whole lot of other policies, too. Everyone's wearing masks. Well, I guess we got to lock down businesses. Everyone's locking down businesses. Oh, I guess we got to socially distance from each other, not just outside, but also in, inside of uh, buildings and inside of private homes. And, you know, it all comes together that way. That's how it happens. Masks are the gateway drug, if you will, to lock down lunacy. That's what we've seen. Once everyone starts masking up, it's, well, you know, we're, we're already obeying. We're already bending the knee and dehumanizing ourselves. And do not ever forget that for apparently about 100 years, wearing masks was not considered an effective public health measure against aerosolized virus in the United States or the Western world for about 100 years. And it wasn't even in, at the beginning of this pandemic, but then they changed that guidance 180 degrees. In fact, more than that, because now it's double masking, as you know. And if you have any issues, if you question this at all, you, you don't believe the science. Right, because viral particles in the air that are moving in a flow that we can't even begin to actually trace and understand in any meaningful way. Those are, are those must be stopped by a loosely fitted piece of cloth around your mouth that you pull down and pull up, depending on if you're eating or where you are, or what you're doing, you know. But, oh, no, it's a great it's a great tool. It really saves us. Uh, huge. That's why it works so well that when they actually look at places that implement mandates, 
It has about a 1.5%, which is within the margin of error, according to the CDC's own numbers, efficacy. 1.5%, over 60 days. That's a long time. Eh, but don't ask any questions, peasant. Just listen to uh, advisors like this guy, Osterholm. Um, listen to him. We've got this up on BuckSexton.com right now. It's a story you should check out. Biden advisor, okay? Biden advisor. We are in another surge of COVID-19. And what is he saying is happening? What does he say we have to do about this? Well, producer Mark, play 18. And right now, get ready for this surge. You know, Allison, I take no comfort at all, but I'm telling you right now, as you just said, we are just beginning this surge, and our denying it is not going to help us. We are walking into the mouth of this virus monster as if somehow we don't know it's here. And it is here. Now is the time to uh, do all the things that we must do to slow down transmission, not open up, and we got to get more vaccine out to more people. See, this is going to be this is going to be the way it is for at least the next. Well, actually, the end the, the, for the rest of this year, for the rest of this year, you're going to be hearing about how oh we haven't gotten everyone the vaccine, so everyone hide, everyone you can't do anything. Oh no, I just got COVID a, what what uh, ten days ago. I've been obeying all the rules and regulations. I have no idea how I got it. And you know that I hate obeying the rules, but I have no choice. But I did obey them. No idea how I got it. Can't even begin to tell you where it came from or anything else. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have also gotten COVID in the last couple of weeks in New York. And they always have the same thing of, I have no idea. And I'm saying, yeah, of course you have no idea. This is, you can see virus with an electron microscope, friends, you know, we have no real sense of how a lot of this uh, a lot of this virus is spreading all across the country in terms of where it's happening. We know it's happening. We know it's happening in large numbers. But, you know, are, are, are people getting it? They say it's because of 15 minutes of close personal contact. Uh I, I can't think of anybody who I was in close personal contact with who was at least sick with virus. So then it's oh, maybe it's asymptomatic spread. But the point is. There's so many different ways. They don't know how how people are getting this. And they're they're acting like the mitigation measures, as Fauci calls them, have been some success. We have over a half a million people that have died from this. We have over 30 million cases that are confirmed. I mean, they don't notice they don't even try to do serology testing anymore. They don't even try to extrapolate, really. If we have 30 million confirmed tests, how many actual infections do we think there? I mean, confirmed positives, I mean. How many actual infections are there in this country over the last 13 months? Really longer than that, because the virus was spreading even, you know, in the end of 2019. But how, how many people do you think have gotten this? You know, are, are we going to get to a point, I'm just putting this out there, where when we really look at this, we'll see that 30, 40, maybe even 50% of the country got the virus? That's going to be a, a real moment of recognition for the country. When I say got it over some period of time, they they were exposed to it. They had an infection. Maybe it was totally asymptomatic. Maybe they were fine. But is that really is that evidence of how effective all of these measures, the public health measures have been? Or is that just showing us that this virus just did what a virus does and spread all over the country? And we have a large population of people with comorbidities. We have a large population of people who are elderly, but are, are largely able to continue on because of the incredible medical system that we have. 
And so we suffered more than a lot of other places. Some places suffered more than we did, too. You know, that's always left out of this as well. You know, the this country has people who really believe that Trump and Trump supporters are the reason we didn't beat covid. And that's a really stupid position when you just spend two minutes thinking about it. Because you say, well, hold on a second. Why did the UK have a higher per capita death rate than the United States with its socialized health care, by the way? Why does France? Well, France, I think, might be a little bit behind us, actually. Not a great example, but close. It's very close to us. Why does Spain, which is worse, and Italy, which is worse, and Belgium, which is worse? Why was it Trump supporters? Were Trump supporters the reason that those countries had a higher death rate from this virus? Or is this just a really dangerous and rapidly spreading more than anything virus that some populations are more susceptible to than others? That some, you know, population density and and just some cultures are more able to withstand than others. I mean, you know, you you look, there's so many different factors, but they act like we if we all we just listen to them, it would all be taken care of. So is the answer then that people in in Italy and in Spain and in Belgium just didn't listen to the authorities? That's the belief now. Hmm. But people in other countries, oh, they listen so much more. I, I always think it's so funny. People say New Zealand. Yeah. If we lived on a tiny island with more sheep than people. True fact, by the way, um, we might have been able to contain the virus if we were also willing to go into long extended actual lockdowns. You have to remember lockdown in America means the, you know, the elites and the, you know, the college educated Uber Eats ordering work from the couch Zoom meeting class gets to just stay home and watch Netflix and order in food while essential workers, grocery store clerks, uh, delivery people, cops, firefighters, you know, etc. They all still do their jobs. So what lockdown has really meant in a lot of places in this country is that upper middle class and above people get to just sit around on the couch, do what they want to do, order in exotic food if they live in a city and, you know, buy things on Amazon and feel really self-righteous as they post their mask photos while working class people have to show up and do stuff and still get the virus and still, you know, pass it on to their families and so forth. That's what lockdown has actually meant in America, in addition to the destruction of thousands, tens of hundreds of thousands of businesses. We don't even know. In addition to the uh, the deaths from suicide, deaths of despair, the loss of a year of study for children that are never going to be able to catch up to their peers as a result. We were never in this together, friends. That was one of the there have been many lies told about this. That was one of the biggest ones. We're not in this together. There are some people that are fine with this, that like this, that benefit from this lockdown. And there are others who suffer the consequences of the Fauciite absurdity. They absolutely should. You know, where is AT&T on this? You know, these big companies, corporations and businesses, these are their customers who are being affected, intimidated, suppressed, and who will not be able to participate in our democracy, which, as you pointed out, uh, whether it's service members on the field of battle, whether it's civil rights marchers and freedom riders, people have given their lives in order to protect and promote the right to vote. And that's being taken away yes. from our fellow Texans, our fellow Americans. 
at a level not seen since the Voting Rights Act's passage in 1965. This is the greatest coordinated attack on democracy we've seen in our lifetimes, and it's happening right here in Texas. It's now ground zero. I mean, Democrats are a bunch of hysterical loons, apparently, at least their leadership, their elected officials, the people who go on TV to represent their ideas. Here's Pato talking about how it's like the biggest assault on our democracy ever. Really? Notice that there's never any specifics in this. It's just all rhetoric. It's all lies. It's lies. They're lying to you. No problem. The lies work. As long as the lies work, then it's uh, no big deal. And, you know, Beto is a perfect example of somebody who uh, appeals to the dumbest and most self-righteous members of the Democrat Party. You know, the people who vote for Biden who really think that taking a photo and putting it on Facebook that shows the masking makes them better people than you, you know, that they're a better person than you are. Uh, those same people hear Beto O'Rourke and they say, oh, yeah, see, the greatest assault on democracy and it's all racism. And this is like the destruction of the Civil Rights Act and because they want voter ID for absentee ballots. Do you know the, the polling all shows that majorities of, of Americans across all categories that they look at? Uh, and overall, it's something like 75 percent all in of Americans believe in voter ID. Seventy five percent. You can't get 75 percent of Americans to agree on very many serious political decisions of any kind these days. But 75 percent support voter ID. And yet Democrats run around saying voter ID is racist. Because the 30 percent, roughly, I guess it's 25 percent, but I always like to say the 30, the 30 percent of, you know, super left wingers out there. Um, and I know it's not the same number set we're talking about, so I'm getting my numbers all mixed up here. But I would say about 30 percent of the Democrat Party is just insane. And it doesn't matter that about 75 percent of all Americans believe that voter ID is a good thing. The the crazy wing of the Democrat Party likes the narrative, likes the storyline that it is racist. It's racist to bring this up, racist to feel that way, uh, that that voter ID is legitimate. You can't you're not allowed to say that, not allowed to do it. And so that's why you have you have really, I mean, morons like Beto O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke is a dumbass. He's not a smart man. He married a rich lady and now he goes around and he kind of looks the part and sounds the part. This guy's like a glorified actor, very much like Joe Biden. In fact, Joe Biden is really an actor. He's been an actor for a long time, doesn't really stand for anything, not a thoughtful guy, doesn't really have any beliefs. But, you know, he kind of wears the suits and, you know, says the words and, you know, that's all he's got to do. I mean, the guy was the senator from Delaware, for heaven's sakes. No offense to Delaware. Actually, has some great beaches, some really cool places in Delaware. But, you know, not exactly a political powerhouse, folks. And and now he's the president of the United States. This guy won like one percent of the vote when he ran in 2008. I'm not even I'm not even exaggerating. I think it was maybe two percent. It was something that's among Democrats. Nobody wanted this guy to be president. But oh, but the great the great fraud of this election was was the was the forced forgetting uh, by the Democrat Party of who even they knew Joe Biden was. Even they know who this guy is. Uh, but now they're just 
they're going to continue with this. They don't care. They're going to keep lying about this. And the, the Georgia situation is this this is their emotional impulse on display here. This is the Democrat Party's you know, I- emotion over reason and facts approach. Uh, and just wait until we get to the point where we can actually have a conversation about uh, where things stand with the Chauvin trial, because, you know, the Democrats are already they're aligning them. They're they're lining themselves up to make this a huge referendum on the country and on racism. And it doesn't even matter what the outcome is. And I'll tell you, I, I believe I believe that they're going to uh, the jury is going to find Chauvin. This is my prediction. OK, so I could be wrong. I believe the jury's going to find Chauvin guilty of the lesser murder charge and and perhaps not the top. I don't think they'll find him guilty of the top count, but I think they'll find him guilty of the lesser murder charge. And and even then, that will not be considered justice. Right. The Democrat Party will use this. They will demagogue the issue recklessly and they'll make things worse for the actual American people. But it will help their power. And that's what really matters. Just like what we see in Georgia. They're lying. They're demagoguing based on the lies, but it helps Democrat Party power. That's all that matters. My question is, is the tone going to change out of the White House? Or, uh, the tone for a bill that limits voting access and makes it more difficult for people to engage in voting in Georgia? No, that's actually not what the, uh, the governor of Georgia has said. Well... I think that is not based in fact what the governor of Georgia has said. So, no, our tone is not changing. We have concerns about the specific components of the package, including the fact that it makes it harder and more difficult for people to vote by limiting absentee options, by making it uh, not viable, not possible for people to provide water to people who are in line, by not standardizing longer hours. So if you're making it harder to vote, no, we don't support that. Lies being lied to. Those are lies. Let's actually go through them. That's from the White House press secretary. Let's start with providing water to people in line. Does this law say, does this law mean that you that there is no provision of water to people? First of all, what are, is everyone? Is it is it like the Kalahari Desert or something? Is everyone dying of thirst in line to vote? So it's it's this tends to happen in November, folks. Oh, my gosh, you know, if without water in line, I mean, okay, some places, some people may want some water. Guess what? Polling places can set up water for people so they can have water there. That's fine. That's what the law actually says. The law also says they don't want people walking up and down the line, giving people things right before they vote. This is not complicated. All right. It doesn't stop people from getting water in line. It just means that you can't have electioneering going on while people are waiting in line to vote. You can set up if you're so worried about people, you can set up on the corner and give them food. And it's just 150 feet away from the poll, uh, the polling station. That's it. So no one's going to die here from starvation. All right. They're not being left in the middle of the Gobi Desert. And oh, my God, what's going to happen? They can't get I mean. But the Democrats, it's so shameless what they're doing. They're such liars. And then when she said that uh, that they're cutting off early voting, that's not true. Early voting hours, that's not accurate. Um, what was that? And there was a third. I mean, everything that she's saying, oh, that the, that they're cutting down on absentee voting. No, it actually 
says absentee voting is fine, but you just have to provide ID. Why doesn't she say that? Who who has the time and the and the you know the inclination to set up early voting and to, to do early voting, but they can't they can get a free state ID cost them nothing, but they can't do they, they can't do that. I mean, you can't cash a check. You can't do so many things. You can't get on an airplane unless you have an ID. But they pretend that all of a sudden when it comes to voting, asking people to have ID, even though 75 percent of the country is completely on board with it, is racist and bad. What a bunch. It's just they're just this disgusting. These Democrats, it's gross. They're just lying to you. And they don't even care. And the media just goes along with it because they know. Do you realize what happens if a journalist really points out that what Jen Psaki's saying here is either an outright falsehood, meaning it is a statement of fact that is untrue or that is highly misleading? I mean, to say that they're cutting back on absentee voting you know, options and not say, well, what does that mean? I mean, I, I could say that someone's cutting back on absentee voting because they insist that you have to be a resident of that state. Well, yeah, technically that's cutting back on absentee voting, but we all agree that that's fine. That's exactly what she's doing. Saying they're cutting back on absentee voting, comma, and leaving out that they're cutting back on it by not allowing people to vote without showing ID is intentionally dishonest. But that's the, the whole game here is to be intentionally dishonest. Their, their whole plan, the whole plot is to do just that. And that's what's going on. And it just drives it just drives me mad. But if you are a journo right now, if you're a journo and you um you decide that you're going to speak the truth about this, not only does your inbox fill with hatred. People hate you. What are you doing? This is about this is about stopping Trump, don't you see? No, wait, Trump's not president anymore. It's really not about stopping Trump. It's actually about what's happening in the country right now, but the Democrats don't see it that way. Oh, Trump is, you know, he's waiting in the closet. He's waiting under the bed. He's he's going to get them any moment now. And if you aren't on board for whatever it takes, if you're not on board for whatever it takes to defeat uh, the opposition to Biden, you are the enemy. That's the way our, our modern media, that's the way our, our journalists operate today. You, you are either with us or against us on everything when it comes to Biden. That's their approach. And uh, it's, it's distressing to see, but it's true. If they point out what's really happening here, if someone says, here's the truth of this situation, they could be ruined. Ruined. Um, and that's what that's the biggest advantage them. They lied about Trump and Russia collusion and the, all the and the mainstream media, the corporate media went all in all in on this. So they made up a huge story to destroy Trump. They will ignore and cover up anything to protect Biden. That's the environment we're in. That's this. That's the situation in which we find ourselves. I, I'm, as you know, a a critic of the overreach and the absurdity of what's going on here with lockdowns and how we're never really going to get out of this if 
we allow these people to continue to make these decisions because there'll always be variants. There'll always be some cases. There'll always be a, you know, a 0.1 or a 0.001% chance that you could get COVID. Even if you're vaccinated, never, you know, a vaccinated, if we had a hundred percent vaccination in this country, there'd be some people who get COVID. It would still happen. And we're nowhere near getting to a hundred percent vaccination, as you know, and we're never, ever actually going to get to a hundred percent vaccination. But uh, the point is that there's always going to be some degree of risk involved. And we've handed over all those decisions about risk to people in lab coats who tell the Democrat Party what they want to hear. And I mean, when the CDC wants to control you, it's listen to the science. But when the science contradicts their narrative of, of control, it's all of a sudden we can't be 100 percent sure. That's how it goes. And that then brings me to this. Um, this really weirded me out. The well health safety rating advertisement that's going around here. Now, some of you may have seen this. I, I wouldn't really spend much time thinking about it except for just how creepy the whole thing is. And that they have in this advertisement for a service that is absurd, that is meaningless, and that is clearly just trying to exploit the overwrought fears and mass psychosis that has been inflicted upon all of us now by the COVID lockdowners. They have Jennifer Lopez, Lady Gaga, and Serena Williams, all of whom I can assure you are very expensive spokespersons for any advertisement. All of them in this ad. So they've clearly raised or have a lot of money at this company for the well health safety rating. You got to listen to this. Play one. If you want to get back to your favorite places and feel confident they have put your health and safety first, look for the Well Health Safety Seal. Look for the Well Health Safety Seal. Look for the Well Health Safety Seal. I'm Dr. Richard Carmona, the 17th Surgeon General of the United States of America. This is the Well Health Safety Seal from the International Well Building Institute, the global authority on healthy buildings. The Well Health Safety Rating was informed by years of research and input from hundreds of leading virologists, public health experts, epidemiologists, and building professionals around the world. You'll see it at schools, offices, banks, childcare centers, all the places we go. The Well Health Safety Seal means that we'll feel better going into restaurants, theaters, stores, hotels, stadiums, and all the places that we love. Everything may look the same, but the Well Health Safety Seal means that your health and safety are top of mind when it comes to cleaning and sanitizing procedures, air and water quality management, emergency preparedness programs, and health services. So look for the Well Health Safety Seal outside and feel more confident going inside. What the hell is this? I mean, what? Did you hear that ad? And they're running it all over the place. And I didn't even, they got De Niro in there too. I mean, they got all these mega celebrities. The well health safety rating. They got the little, you know, mellow piano playing in the background, the whole thing. Oh, everything's fine. Because this place is in line with the international expert on safety inside of a building. I mean, this is, you see what's going on. This is a, a global market now of uh, exploitation of the mass psychosis that we're talking about here. 
There's nothing. There's nothing they can do to know if there's virus in any of these establishments that there's no way of checking. There's no safety seal for this. This is idiocy, obviously. But they'll charge you, you know, four thousand dollars or two thousand dollars or whatever it is. You get this seal of approval. And this is just it's it's almost it's almost like protection money mafia style Except instead of we'll break your kneecaps, it's, well, you know, nice business you got there. People might think there's some COVID flying around, though, unless you get our well health, well health safety seal. Well, uh, President Biden said to the Texas Ranger baseball team, talking about baseball, you need to listen to Dr. Fauci about urging people to come to the baseball game opening day. Dr. Fauci, you need to go to the border. And here's what you will see. You will see 900 people in a room built for 80. You will see people living on top of each other, a 10% positive rate where the positive people intermingle with everybody else. And all these illegal immigrants are dumped off in Texas and the rest of the country. So, Dr. Fauci, you need to go to the border. And if you're not compelled to shut down this illegal immigration program, I don't want to hear anything you got to say about baseball or restaurants. It is the biggest, in my view, COVID spreader in the world along the border where thousands of legal immigrants are coming to this country, positive, 10% positive rate, intermingled with each other, dropped out all over Texas and the rest of America. So I'm not worried about the baseball game in Texas. I'm worried about illegal immigrants infecting the whole country, given the policies that Biden has. You've got hundreds and hundreds of people in, in very close quarters in closed facilities with a high COVID positivity rate who aren't supposed to be in the United States at all. And yet not only are they not stopping this flow from coming. See, that's the fundamental problem here is how do you we want them to stop the inflow because people are breaking the law and they're abusing the law. Once they break the law, they break the law by coming into the country illegally and then they abuse the law by pretending they're going to show up for an asylum hearing when they if you know they're. Even if they show up, they're not going to get deported. And even if they're supposed to be deported, then they won't be found. And this this is what's actually happening. The Democrats just view the problem as can we slow down the flow so it doesn't look as bad? These are very different approaches to this. This is what you have to see. This is the difference that I'm talking to you about. And the COVID realities here. I mean, yeah, it is true that right now in say San Diego, there are children who are being held in a large facility and they're being given in-person instruction. Now I understand that giving children, you know, schooling when they're held in U S custody, fine. We, we don't believe that they could be, uh, they could avoid in-person schooling for a couple of weeks. Why can't we roll in? I mean, if it's good enough for your kids, why isn't it good enough for illegal immigrant kids to you know, roll in a, a big flat screen TV and, you know, play some lessons? You know, they could play them an uh, Espanol or, you know, whatever language is necessary. And right. Right. No. In, in person instruction, teachers showing up in a in a classroom setting to teach the kids uh, of illegal immigrants. While in a lot of places in the country, your kids are still told, sorry, enjoy those Zoom lessons. It's amazing, isn't it? The Democrats, they're so, oh my gosh, they're so self-righteous about this stuff that they, they really are okay with treating 
illegal immigrants in, in as superior to, as more deserving of, of state funds, resources, and attention than Americans. Democrats really believe that. You know, they, they have this mentality. They have this thought process of, oh, I'm a better person because I want to to sanctify the illegal immigrants. You know, I, I want to elevate illegal immigrants as, as this uh, symbol of the greatness and the, the morality of the Democrat Party. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's just a virtue signaling ploy, but it, it's very powerful. It, it works on their psychology very, very well. Uh, the reality, though, is that there are more and more illegal immigrants coming to the border and the numbers are completely out of control. Ted Cruz has been down there a few times. And here's what he says. Play 13. For four years, we heard Democrats and much of the media going on and on about kids in cages, kids in cages. They never acknowledged that it was Barack Obama who built those cages. I went and toured those cages in 2013 and 2014 when Obama built them. And now Joe Biden is building new cages. He's building bigger cages, and they're more full. You know, at the Donna facility, there were children just lined up in those cages, not six feet apart, not three feet apart, not even three inches apart, side by side by side in the midst of a pandemic. Ten percent of those kids are testing positive for covid. And then just a couple of days ago, I went to another detention facility the Biden administration had stood up in downtown Dallas, the K. Bailey Hutchison Convention Center, a giant room. It is the size of three and a half football fields to give you a sense of the scope. And the room is filled with nothing but cots lined up one after the other after the other. Two thousand two hundred cots all in a row all filled with teenage boys aged 13 through 17, just one slice of the children who are suffering, who are being brought in by human traffickers, who are being abused, who are being sexually abused. And all of that's the direct result of Joe Biden's political mistakes. It is the result of Joe Biden policies and the Democrat Party's approach to immigration. And ultimately, we're going to have to shift this conversation Nationally, this is what's going to have to happen to. Okay, yes, the the plight of these illegal immigrants, including unaccompanied minors, is is a very sad thing. And there needs to be uh, there needs to be basic humanitarian effort and care given to this. But we also need to stop people from coming here in this way. You have to get it to stop. And this is the part of it that no one talks about right now. The only way you get it to stop is if there is no benefit to doing it. If the incentive structure remains in place, the illegal immigration will continue as we are seeing it right now. It will not stop ever. It will keep going month after month. This will become the new normal. And Democrats, by setting up all these facilities and all this processing, are preparing for that. They're not trying to stop this. They're trying to better control the flow of it. Crime is getting worse in this country. That's a very strange thing, isn't it? We would usually assume that if we had a pandemic and far fewer people interacting with each other, fewer people outside and uh, less just human back and forth in our day to day that you'd have less crime, right? But that's not happening. In fact, the opposite has happened in the last year. We don't have the uh, the full official numbers yet, but the numbers we've seen so far indicate that things are going 
very poorly from the perspective of violent crime in America as of the last 18 months. And there's a very specific spike that occurs starting right around last May or June that we will be addressing as well. But this is the kind of information that if you rely on uh, corporate media, you won't find out. And even if you rely on seeing it on social media, you may not find out because the social media companies have picked sides in our political debates and they are very clearly supportive of the narrative, the narrative of the left. And that's why they are silencing and removing any voices that don't agree with that narrative. Twitter and Facebook are clear examples of this. They're supposed to be open platforms, but they're not anymore. They've got content moderators who act like editorial writers. So instead of letting these social media companies just destroy your rights to free speech and use your data to get super rich, I've got an idea. Why not use ExpressVPN to anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your IP address? That makes your activity much more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN couldn't be easier to set up. You just tap one button on your phone or your computer and you're protected. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and internet bad guys. It's finally time to say no to censorship and take back your online privacy at expressvpn.com buck. By visiting my special link, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Go right now. You have to have this. This is a must for your devices, for your computers. Don't allow the spying to continue. Who knows what they're going to do with that data in years to come. ExpressVPN.com slash buck. That's ExpressVPN.com slash buck to protect your data today. I have said America is on trial, and I, I say, yes, George Floyd is us. And I get so much pushback from people saying, it's not us because he, you know, had this in his past and he had this in his past. What does that have to do with his encounter with a police officer? What does that have to do with something that you did years ago? What does that have to do with anything? Why are you making that excuse? Why are you trying to justify in your mind the inhumane treatment of a person by bringing up everything that has happened in their, in their lives? You bring up all the negatives. What about the positives? Yeah. What about the positives? Don Lemon says, OK, let's let's address this. He says George Floyd is us. And many people would say I am saying right now that's absurd and that's actually pretty offensive. It's nonsense. Uh, we can say that we need to look at the evidence presented in a trial here of police brutality without pretending that George Floyd didn't make the uh, the situation that he found himself in more dangerous by the drug use without pretending that George Floyd didn't have an extensive criminal past, including a home invasion where he held a gun at the belly. He pointed a loaded firearm at the belly of a pregnant woman during a home invasion and threatened to shoot her. But he is all of us. No, I'm sorry. Um, that's a disgusting, a disgusting move that he made, a disgusting statement to say now. And it just goes to show you how this is all going to be an emotional argument that's made. They'll, they will stray from the facts. Here's, here's the, the bottom line is that the coroner's report indicates that there is at least three times 
the amount of there was three times the amount of of, le- of fentanyl in his uh, George Floyd system required for it to be a lethal situation. And that alone, you would think, would raise the prospect of reasonable doubt because they also cannot prove, nor does the evidence support, that he was asphyxiated by Officer Chauvin. Now, Officer Chauvin, if for anybody watching the video, did, did seem to me, all right, like he should have taken action sooner than he did uh, based upon what we can see in the video to get aid to George Floyd. But I'm not sitting in that trial, and I'm not sitting through the presentation of every bit of evidence. I'm talking about what I can see in the video. But what may be a what it may be um, involuntary manslaughter, let's say, or what may be a circumstance of uh, an officer who should be fired. He's already been fired, but should be fired from his job for not uh, giving rendering aid quickly enough is a different thing from a murder charge which is what he currently faces, that he intended to kill George Floyd. I don't see any evidence of that. I've also never seen any evidence of the presentation or any evidence presented of racial animus that does not. Now, you can say he's a white officer. George Floyd was black. Therefore, there's clearly racial animus. But that that's actually not how our justice system works. That's actually not how human beings should be judged in their interactions. But that's what the left will say that there's racial animus just because of the racial makeup here. Now, if you had a a black cop and a white individual here, nobody would make that claim, right? Nobody would make that claim. So there's a narrative, there's a construct that this is fit into right away. And Don Lemon is a man who is paid millions of dollars a year to say very silly things on a regular basis on television and has not has not spent any time in, near, or around uh, dangerous law enforcement situations in, his, in, in certainly his recent life. But he identifies with this, right? Because it's, it's a way of elevating the narrative and a way of elevating the left. And, and he views this as something that is uh, professionally, it professionally advances him to take the positions that he does on this. But there's a downside to all of this stuff that is just beginning to be seen by the general public. There's a there's a real cost, a cost in lives that comes from all of this. That if you just look at the data, if you look at the numbers, you can see it quite clearly. Um, and for one, it's from these FBI statistics that show a 25% rise last year in murders in a lot of cities. 25% increase in murders in 2020. Now, the official number doesn't come out until the fall of this year for all of 2020. It takes the, that's when that's when they do all their compilation for whatever reason. That's what happens. The official number does not come out till September of 2020. But assuming the preliminary numbers are correct and there's no reason to believe they're not, if anything, they'll go up. A 25 percent increase in murders in 2020 would mean that we are over 20,000 murders a year for the first time. Since 1995, we would be at the highest murder rate the United States has seen nationally in 25 years. Have you heard this anywhere? Have, have you been seeing the headlines about this? Is this, is this something the media is focused on? No. 
No, in fact, I'm sure for a lot of you, this may be the first time you've even heard that number. Chicago, for example, had 780 people killed in murdered in 2020. That is a 55 percent increase from the 502 deaths it had in 2019, a 55 percent increase in murders in a city with far too many murders to begin with. Now, understand that they're not going to be able to hide from this forever. The narrative is not going to be sufficient to shut down the facts here. But when you look at a sample of 37 cities with data available for the first three months of this year, they're up 37 major U.S. cities for the first three months of 2021, mind you, up 18 percent. This is stunning. There's far more murder happening in the United States over the course of this pandemic. And this this is not an anomaly. This is not just some statistical fluke. It's clear. It's obvious. And once the numbers are in and official, it's going to be hard for the Democrats to hide from this. Now, what happened from 2020 to present, from the beginning of 2020 to now, we're four months into 2020. 21. What happened? Yes, there was a pandemic. And there are going to be a lot of people who try to say, oh, because of the pandemic, we've had this increase in violence. Hmm. That's interesting because the flu pandemic of 1918, the Great Depression and the Great Recession of 2008 all had substantial declines in violence. So. There's no reason to believe that the pandemic itself was the cause of greater violence. In fact, if anything, if you just think of it logically and you look at historical uh, historical comparisons, I mean, the, the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918 being one example, a very clear example, violence should have gone down during the pandemic. So why did violence go up? And why was I talking about the George Floyd case and Derek Chauvin's trial at the start of this? We all know why violence went up. The BLM movement. Which, as I've said to you, and I'm I'm very proud of the fact that even last June, when a lot of people, including the Trump supporters in the White House and, uh, you know, a lot of the, the Trump people in the administration, some level the president himself, I'm just gonna say it, were really weak on BLM. There was a lot of talk about how, oh, we need criminal justice reform. What? Criminal justice reform? They're burning down buildings. There's riots going on across the country. You're talking about criminal justice reform? You think you're going to reason your way through this mob situation? A lot of Republicans, including a lot of people in Trump world. And I know, you know, Kushner was the Trump advisor on this issue and it was a horrible idea to have that guy in that role and it it did not it did not result in uh sound policies especially in response to things like the rise again of the blm movement but we all know at some level why there was a a huge spike in violence and yet the media is gonna they're gonna say oh i already saw the new york times claiming it's because of the spike in gun sales that's why there's more violence oh okay yeah um So people just started buying guns and killing people, but there's no actual cause behind it other than 
the buying of the guns. No, the spike in gun sales was lawful gun owners who wanted to be able to protect themselves from the surge in violence that they all knew was coming because of the BLM movement. Because of the BLM movement. And why does BLM result in more death and more violence and more misery in American cities? Well, it's rather straightforward when you think about it. BLM results in political cowardice from politicians who all of a sudden start throwing police under the bus. They start bailing on law enforcement and they're hoping that by capitulating, by by caving to the demands of the BLM mob in whatever way they can, they will keep their positions of power and they essentially leave the police high and dry. They start talking about defunding. In some cases in major cities, they actually take action to defund police. I mean, it was just a little over a year ago, friends, that we were being told that the way to stop violence in this country is to send social workers instead of cops to domestic violence calls, for example. So remember, not a social worker and cops. Send a social worker instead of cops. This was considered cutting-edge law enforcement theory from the BLM abolish the police, defund police left. That's the kind of stuff they're talking about. Uh, Well, what I'm here to tell you is that there have been at least hundreds, if not a few thousand people who are dead now who would not have been dead, and it's primarily people in poor, high-crime neighborhoods in a lot of parts of the country that are predominantly minority neighborhoods, A lot of people are dead that wouldn't be dead because of the cowardice of politicians in the face of the BLM movement and the media's absurd and and disgraceful uh, pandering to the BLM movement, holding it up as some kind of a civil rights struggle, holding it up as though it's it's a a group of, of people who are all heroes here. They're just fighting for justice, they say. Really? You're not fighting for justice if you're attacking cops. You're not, and I mean physically attacking them, like in a mob. You're not fighting for justice if you're lighting buildings on fire, if you're looting stores. Stealing sneakers and handbags is not fighting for justice. But there were craven, disgusting people in the media, in the Democrat Party, and even some Republicans. Mitt Romney was marching with BLM. You remember that? What a feckless little coward. People like that saw it as an opportunity to show how good they are. Oh, they're such good people. Their egos, their vanity is all that needs to actually be dealt with here. The suffering, the misery, the death, that doesn't really concern them. Was that your laptop? For real, I don't know. I know, but, but you know that this is... I really a, don't know okay. the answer is. That's you don't know yes or no if the laptop was yours. I don't have any yours. idea. I have no idea. So it could have been yours. Of course, certainly. It, 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 there could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me. There could be that I was hacked. It could be that it was, the, that it was Russian intelligence. It could be that it was stolen from me. <laughs> oh, man. Hunter Biden, everybody. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, this guy is, uh, he is truly remarkable. I mean, it could be, it could be mine. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. Man, maybe the laptop's mine. Maybe the laptop's somebody else. I don't, I don't know. That's the best this guy can do. Trust me, friends. If, if someone 
had a laptop of yours that had intimate photos on it that were real, you would know that that was your laptop, right? You would know that this is all true. Hunter Biden is a liar. Now, I, he's such a, he's such a casualty in so many ways. I mean, the guy is, it's so sad, really, that this, he's just, you know, he's an addict and he's, He's a just kind of a scummy guy. Now there's a story, but he had an affair with his with his dead brother's widow and he's married. I mean, the whole thing, it's just he's a disaster and the guy's a disaster. But notice how the media still is gentle with him because he's Hunter. He's Hunter Biden. He's Joe Biden's kid. You got to You got to step away from that. You're not allowed to really dig in. You're not allowed to really get into it. When it comes to Hunter Biden. So you're going to accept a story like that. I love that NPR or accept his ex- excuse. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's mine. I mean, maybe it's Russian disinformation. Really, dude. I mean, this is the. Yeah, I don't know if that was me at the restaurant last night where there's a video of me. It could be me or and by the way, there I wasn't in a restaurant. I'm under quarantine, but you know what I'm saying? It could be me or it could be aliens who landed, who created a very lifelike organism that's a copy of me that you see on that video i can't prove to you in fact i can't prove to you that there's not a doppelganger made by space aliens of buck sexton doing this radio show right now i cannot prove that to you this is the kind of seriousness with which uh we should take hunter biden's i don't know if that's my laptop excuse we're not all morons but the press will pretend to be morons because that's what they're supposed to do because they play along with the game, with the left, with the narrative. That's what they do. And that's why I love this NPR. NPR recently wrote something. They had some story where they said the debunked, the debunked Hunter Biden laptop story. Yeah, that's right. Debunked. And fortunately, and, and, and sorry, the New York Post story was debunked. This is what NPR was saying about the Hunter Biden laptop. And they had to withdraw that and say something like, oh, it turns out, News media suggested it was debunked or something. They had some massaging of it. These people never cared about the truth. These people never cared about getting to the bottom of the Hunter Biden story. It does not matter to them. They are supporting a team. They are supporting a cause. Everything else is not even secondary. It's it's irrelevant Beyond that, they are helping Team Democrat. That is what the corporate media exists to do. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever let that slip out of your mind. Our friend Ryan Gerdusky joins us now. He's the author of They're Not Listening, How a GOP Populist Revolution Started. And also, he's got something he wants to talk to us about here with a GOP House GOP memo, embrace of Trump agenda is the only option for a comeback. Ryan, good to have you, man. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about this. How this is the document is titled cementing the GOP as the working class party. How do we do that? What, what, what is this memo and what is it telling us that the GOP has to do to get back on track? So the memo was authored by Congressman Jim Banks, who's the head of the Republican Study Committee. 
And this the, basically it was a, a memo to um, the Republican Study Committee is the largest committee on the Republican House. Um, it's got hundreds of members. And the, 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 the main focus of it was written to um, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. And it focuses on how do we coalesce the working class um, Trump base along with the traditional suburban voters, because even though Trump lost the election, a lot of suburban voters still continue to vote for the House candidates, House Republican candidates. So it was probably a lot of people who liked the policies but didn't like the personality attached to Donald Trump. Well, how do we one one? The memo starts off by breaking out some old beliefs about, you know, who is who is the Republican base? And it goes on like this. Seventy nine percent of mechanics voted to Trump in twenty twenty. 21% voted for Biden. 60% of small business owners voted for, uh, donated to Trump. 40% voted for donated to Biden. 59% of st- custodians donated to Trump and 41% donated to Biden. So that's the base. Small business owners, custodians, uh, uh, mechanics. Who who donated to Biden? College professors 94 to 6, um, marketing professionals 86 to 14, bankers 70, 73 to 27. And yet, despite it being overwhelmingly a white collar party, the Democratic Party, they are considered to be the party of the people. Well, this tries to reverse it and tries to sit there and say, now, how do we rebrand ourselves? Blue collar people of all races, white, Hispanic and black, have increasingly voted for the Republican Party by double digits. Um, It's increased by 12 points among white blue collar workers, um, 13 points by Hispanic blue collar workers and uh, about seven points by uh, black uh, blue collar workers. So how do you make an agenda to continue that growth of blue collar people um, and maybe detach yourself from more of the toxic personality traits that Trump had by tweeting constantly um, or going after people personally that that turned off a lot of suburbanite or college educated voters. So keeping those people in the coalition, but extending and adding to the working class base. Um, first and foremost, he talks about immigration, which is the most important issue facing our country, um, you know, from the border crisis to legal immigration to our visa system. It's about how do we uh, both reduce legal immigration, crack down completely on illegal immigration, and work to stop uh, massive fraud within the system that replaces American workers for foreign workers. Um, it talks about having trade agreements that don't um, benefit the Chinese Communist Party and uh, destroy our industries, especially the ones that the few remaining we have in the manufacturing department, and how to bring home supply chains. Um, it's about an anti-woke agenda that sits there and tells white people that they were born evil, and that's the agenda that, that's being pushed by corporate America. Um, and why do we still give tax breaks to corporations that that hate us? I mean, this is the opinions that promote things like Black Lives Matter aren't even embraced by large portions of of the Democratic Party. There was a scene an exit poll from the 2020 election that found that 42 percent of Hispanics that voted for Biden had a negative opinion of Black Lives Matter. Um, and then lastly, it's about how to reconnect with labor. Uh, you know, while a lot of union leaders tend to be very liberal, the union members themselves aren't liberal. So how do we create kind of a connection with union workers by and, and talk to them about issues that they truly care about and by side and, and sidestepping their union leadership? Speaking of Ryan Gerdusky, a political analyst, writer and author of They're Not Listening, uh, and Ryan, you know, the you, you mentioned the, the corporate 
approach on all this stuff. And I've got to say, you know, we have finally in Georgia a case where it seems like the lies that are being told about this Georgia SB 202 are so, you know, the Voter Integrity Act are so egregious and so obvious that maybe now some GOP uh, pushback in that state may happen. And they, they've they've said they might actually cut a massive tax break for Delta Airlines, for example, for for slapping down at them on this thing. It, it feels to me like this is this needs to be the standard now. I mean, the right. Republicans need to understand that they're in a political war here. Right. Actually, you know, what's so funny is that um, Steve Bannon, when he was in the White House, proposed uh, uh, income tax hike for people who made like $50 million a year. So basically just Wall Street, $50 million a year and over. So basically just Wall Street tycoons and Hollywood actors and, and or celebrities, people who generally hate the GOP. Um, and it was considered like insane to sit there and do that. But what did what did conservatives get from massive uh, deductions and taxes for corporations? Yes, maybe some corporations created new jobs, um, but we also got corporations like Nike that gave millions of dollars to Colin Kaepernick to sit there and sell cultural Marxism to children. I mean, do we really need a corporation that's sponsoring Little Nas X to sit there and make sure, and his uh, Satan shoes, to sit there and make sure that they get a tax deduction? I mean, if they want to do well, they can do well. But they're the ones who are benefiting primarily from this, these, these old philosophies uh, 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 on that corporations are your friend. Talk about the vaccine passport for a second. That's all going to be done through private corporations, the same kind of corporations who've been selling our data to China. So it, it makes us sit there for a second, and maybe we need to reconsider the idea that corporations are always our friend. The private sector has all the answers, just outsource everything to, to private corporations. That's probably not a good idea anymore. Um, and it's, it's not been a good idea for a long time, but the GOP messaging, which you know at this point dates back to the Cold War, is just it's not in tune with, with the realities of the day you know, for, for most Americans. It's just not there. What do you think about the role of MAGA and and the Trump movement, let's say, in trying to mobilize against this in, in time for the for the midterms? It feels like there's a there's a vacuum right now. Well, I mean, I'm speaking to a because, you know, I consult for, for a living. That's why I make most of my money. And um, I speak to a lot of candidates and a lot of them. The problem is, is Trump didn't exactly leave them with a concise blueprint. So they're trying to figure it out, and, and there is a vacuum, and they're trying to learn really what it's about. So the party, I think, has moved generally on certain issues, uh, like when it comes to uh, immigration, for example. Nearly the entire party now says, uh, even even the liberals, that we need to change our immigration to be merit-based instead of family reunification. Most of our immigration system is based on if you know somebody and you're related to somebody already within the country. Now they're saying it should be skills-based. That was a transformation under Trump. What they haven't sat there and adopted to yet is, oh, maybe we should cut our numbers from having you know, we bring in 1.2 million legally. We bring another half to 1 million in illegally. And then we have a visa system that brings in another million. So maybe 3 million people per year, 30 million over a decade, which is 10% of the population of the United States. Maybe that's not the best solution to sitting there and, and, uh, and trying to build a cohesive um, uh, culture. Um, I think that those conversations are actually happening. What I'm afraid of more for the midterms is that there's a bunch of people 
um, across the country who are going to stamp a uh, MAGA bumper sticker to the back of their campaign bus. And they're not going to believe in any of these issues whatsoever. And we're seeing it already, like in Ohio, you have Jane Timken, who's an establishment hack, whose family literally makes money from the Chinese Communist Party to build windmills in China. Uh, and and Josh Mandel, who's a neocon, he believes in permanent war and, and permanent massive immigration. And they're both saying MAGA, 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 MAGA all day long. But they don't actually believe in any of the issues. Uh, that's and that's just in the state of Ohio, and we're seeing it. We're going to see it across the entire country. Um, so uh, hopefully, we can find a good, solid, you know, five, six Senate candidates, especially with so many retirements. I know Mo Brooks just announced in, in Alabama, and he's fantastic. Um, but hopefully, we can find a good five or six and sit there and and make sure they get in and 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 that that will start changing the party i mean because at the end of the day the success like success once they see more people winning under uh, under a more coherent ideology aside from just trump um i think that they'll be drawn to those issues ryan who who in the gop right now is actually speaking to the kind of populism that could resonate in a way that it would allow us to start winning some elections well i mean i think that i mean we did win pretty well in the house last time but i think that you know the problem with trump is that his candidacy was like a puzzle right there was a million pieces to it and everyone's been trying to pick up portions of the puzzle but no one's really grasped the entire thing yet so i think that um i think that you have people like jim banks who's really good on china um and maybe he's starting to get good on immigration you have people like tom cotton who's really great on immigration uh you have Rand paul who's fantastic on foreign policy or um or the deep state and you have people like uh, marco rubio who really understand family or family policy like really good family policy even Mitt romney's actually pretty decent on family policy so you have um you have people who are who are who are good on this issue or that issue i don't think any there's no person who's going to carry the mantle on a federal level, I think if you have to point to a state person, I mean, it's obviously um, DeSantis over in Florida. I mean, he's he's the closest thing. And in some cases, he's better by a mile. So I think that's the person we have to look to. Do you have a strong feeling as to whether Trump himself will run again or not? I don't think he's going to. I mean, I have no insight and information. This is just me you know my my believing this i don't think he's running again he'll be almost 80 years old and yes i understand joe biden is that age but the man looks like you know the crypt keeper i don't think that trump wants to be that and i don't think he wants to i, I can't imagine at that age wanting to go out to do massive rallies across the country every day have your name online and still might lose i just don't think that 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 that's in it and at the end of the day Trump is going to go out as one of the only 46 people in the history of this country to out of the hundreds of millions that have ever lived in this country um, to be a president. I mean, he goes out as, a, uh, you know, as one one of literally a handful of people to be president of the United States. So uh, I, I don't think he needs to do it again. I, 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 you know, maybe he will, but I don't believe he will. Ryan Gerdusky, everybody, go check out They're Not Listening, his book, How the Elites Created the National Populist Revolution. Ryan, my man, have a great weekend. Thanks for joining you us. You too.
satisfied. You know who tested positive for COVID? Our old lipstick on a pit bull herself, Sarah Palin, announced that she and her, two of her kids contracted the virus. How, she doesn't know. Sarah Palin lives in Alaska. You almost have to try to catch COVID in Alaska. It's easier to catch a bald eagle uh, than COVID in Alaska. But Palin is encouraging others now to wear masks, which is rich because at the beginning of this, back in May, she traveled all the way to Texas to visit a beauty salon to support the owner of that salon who went to jail because she refused to shut her business down. She said it was her constitutional right to endanger her community. But now that Sarah has herself been bitten by the bug, she changed her tune. I love these people who only believe in science when it happens to them. They only acknowledge that COVID is real after they get... It's like saying, now that I have been mauled by a bear personally, I realize that their claws and teeth are very sharp. I... I hate this this line that you hear from the libs all the time. And look, that's Jimmy Kimmel, who, as you know, is not really even a comedian anymore. I mean, he just tells jokes that Democrats might laugh at. He's a pundit that that tries to make jokes. Basically, that's the idea. He's not really not trying to make everybody laugh. And and if he is, he's not doing a good job. And he's got a look. I don't I'm not Hollywood connected or anything else. I'm just a guy who does a radio show. Uh, but the, that guy's reputation, it's its well known just on the Internet. That guy's reputation is he's a huge jerk. He's a he's a bad just like David Letterman, by the way, another guy. So comedian David Letterman, had a terrible reputation for being a nasty, nasty person. Um, but uh, anyway, and I heard I, I knew some people that worked on that show and they said, oh, my God, Letterman was the was the worst Well, the worst. Jay Leno actually apparently pretty nice for whatever it's worth. I've always said that, but I've heard Jay Leno is actually a pretty nice guy. Uh, here, here you have this, oh, because you catch COVID, now you change your mind on this thing. And I'm just going to tell you this right now. I'm still dealing with the after effects of COVID. And I, have, and I haven't changed anything about what I've said. If anything, all it has done is made me even more confident in everything that I've said all along because, yeah, I have no idea how I got it. Wore masks all the time when I was supposed to wear masks. Have always told you that that's insufficient, and I got sick anyway. After 12 months of just living my life and being uh, somebody who's willing to go out and you know be in congregate settings and be around, I didn't do any of that, though, when I got sick. So just mind you, that that's what has actually happened here. I got sick even though um, I did the things that they tell you will, will prevent you from getting sick or make you less likely to get sick. And I did a lot of things that they said are really risky before that in the months before that, like last summer, traveling, going to events was fine. Totally fine. It's random. It's a virus. They can't control this, but they still like to make these uh, these stupid jokes about this. Anyway, yeah, believe the science. You know, there's another way you could believe the science, and that's that the the Biden administration is listening to the climate scientists and that's going to create jobs. This is a this is a funny a funny one. Play 16. We need to have an infrastructure that's resilient. We need to grow workers in this country. We need to build hope and opportunity. So for me, it's a, a very exciting moment in time for us to marry the work of the federal government and what we do to actually build a climate resilient country, but also one that grows jobs, union jobs, good paying. Uh, when the president says uh, that says he hears the word climate, he thinks jobs. And I think that's great he hears the word climate he thinks jobs yeah 
These people don't really understand how companies, how balance sheets, how you know profit and loss works. The people that are pushing this and thinking that it's going to create all these jobs. First of all, they're going to destroy better jobs in this process, as we all know. And then when they say they're going to create jobs, yeah, they can take taxpayer money and pay someone to dig a ditch somewhere. But that doesn't mean that they've created a, an industry that is self-sustaining and, and supports people and creates long-term value. But, I mean, that's all way beyond this. Joe Biden doesn't know a damn thing about running a business or the economy, and he's the president of the United States. That's what this really is going to come down to. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. It's time for Roll Call. All righty. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. If you want to send us your thoughts for uh, the roll call, by all means, please do. Um, and uh, we'd love to get, get new folks in the roll call. If you've never written to us before, we'll share your thoughts here with the whole country, with uh, lots and lots of folks all across America and some of them around the world, in fact. And this is also where we uh, pop in and ask our friend, Producer Mark. Producer Mark, what exciting things do you have planned for your weekend? Well, uh, I turn a year older today, so uh, I guess whatever my wife has planned. Happy birthday, Producer Mark. Thank you. Look at that, buddy. Yeah. You know, I would sing to you, but as, a, as you know, you apparently can't do that on the radio. Well, no, and I, nobody should have to hear that. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other yeah. component of it, I will say. But yeah, there's rights issues with singing the happy birthday song. There's rights they, issues with everything. And they and they are um, they're quite litigious, from what I understand, about happy birthday. We also cannot talk about the basketball tournament that's going on using the specific words they like to say. Is that really true? Yes. You I cannot call it its official that. name without paying for it. Wow. Mm-hmm. I I did not know that, which is, I mean, and I, I obviously also never watched it and could care less about it, but it is interesting to me that that's, that's how, how, the, how they are. I think with the Oscars, the way it works is there's like a 24-hour period after the Oscars where you can play some of the audio or something like that, right? They, they, they come up with these little loopholes so they can get a little extra coverage, but then they want you to pay for it after that. So, anyway. Everyone wants their cut. Everybody, everybody wants their cut. But uh, happy birthday, buddy. How Will you tell everybody how old you are? Yeah, I'm They 20- think you're like 50, just so you know. They think I'm 50? I'm certainly not 50. I'm 28. Well, no, but be- it's because of your, your surly and, uh, and sarcastic ways, I believe they assume that you're older than you are. I, I think a lot of Team Buck thinks you're older than me, when in fact I am the, uh, the elder statesman in the Freedom Hut. I am the youngest person in the Freedom Hut, but not, I'm not going to be uh, under 30 much longer. So no. you're at the big three O, buddy? No, I'm at 28. Oh, man. Yeah. You're even younger than I thought. My God. Younger than you thought? Yeah. I thought you thought I was like 22. Well, no, that was originally. Yeah. But then I got confused. But then I, I thought you were almost 30. Now, look at you. Almost, I am almost, almost 30, yeah. I'm going to be 40. All right, buddy. Uh, I'm going to be 40 this year. Well, so, you're uh, old. I'm almost old. Whoo, Man. Man, is Mrs. Mark, are you and Mrs. Mark the same age? Yes, we are. She's a couple months older than me. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Well, yeah, send her my uh, my warm regards, and I hope you have a great birthday. Do you have a? You. Is there a favorite 
do you have like a cake that's your what's the the ideal birthday cake oh. for producer Mark? What flavors? What are we talking about? Here? It's definitely something chocolate. Like it doesn't matter as long as it's just lots of chocolate cake with chocolate fudge, just anything like that. But I'm thinking I haven't had a good chocolate cheesecake in a while. Uh. And, I, and I, I just, that's one of my favorites for sure. Okay, so but so like you you'd go chocolate bread or whatever you call it, right? Chocolate uh, the you know the the bread of the cake. I don't know what you call that, cake. right? The the cake of the, the cake, cake, I yeah. guess. Yeah. So you go chocolate cake with chocolate frosting in the middle and chocolate icing, or do you like some variation? No, just all chocolate is fine. You go all in. Sometimes I I'll go I with the that. vanilla cake. My my wife prefers the vanilla cake, and not that that's bad. I just like chocolate. Yeah. See, for the, my thing is, I I never like, I never want fruit flavored filling in my cakes. No, never. I want the I I want chocolate. I want vanilla. I'll I'll do the sort of yellow the yellow cake. Um, you know that's okay. But you know, yeah. I I I want the classic cake flavors. You can do a little caramel or hazelnut or something like that. That's fine. But the moment you start getting into fruit flavors in a birthday cake, I'm like, what? What are? What is this? Is this? Uh, what are we communists? I don't know. I don't like it. Nutella like in it. a birthday cake. Now that is heavenly. What is? Nutella? Oh, Nutella! Oh my God, Nutella is. My problem with Nutella is that I'm I'm embarrassed by all the ways that I find to eat the Nutella. So I'll be like, oh, what do you mean? I've got some celery sticks in the fridge. I think they need some Nutella. I don't think you even need the celery sticks. Just get a spoon at that point. Well, that's when you've really gone yeah. all in on your Nutella. Is when you just you just eat it with a spoon because it is it is that good. It is that amazing. So, well, dude, happy happy birthday! Thank and you. Uh, you know we we all we all wish you a very a very happy one. And uh, I would say, you know, if we were if we were actually allowed to see each other in an office, I'd bring you some some form of sweet treat and cake and things. But as you know, we are both uh, living in the lockdown world. So I have not seen producer. Mar I haven't seen you in a year. It's been over a year now. I think uh, early March of 2020 was the last time. Yeah. You still haven't gone. You're still unbearded, right? You haven't gone beard. Yeah, no, I cannot grow a beard for my life. But see, because you say that now, we all want to see you try no, and you then don't. have the photos posted. My wife know? would let it go a week, maybe. And then she would demand I shave. We want to see your scraggly, patchy beard so bad. Now. It wouldn't even go look like that. It would look like nothing. <laughs> Actually, it's for so some thin. reason, you you with a goatee just would be amazing. I don't know why, but a goatee of producer Mark would be a... It would have to be a fake one. Oh, God. I'd have to go right. to some movie prop guy or movie stylist to have them do it for me. Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. Happy birthday to producer Mark. And if you guys want, you can write him in a belated birthday note because I should have known. But, you know, I've had COVID. So I, I, that's my excuse for everything now. You know, I, I don't I, I forget to pay my rent. I tell my landlord, ah, I got COVID. Come on, back off. I don't expect you to remember almost anything at this point. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, first up here. Buck, glad you're back from your COVID hiatus. That being said, I was happy to hear Mike Slater uh, fill in. He's one of the full uh, one of the few guest hosts that I'll listen to for the full show. First, listen to both of you when I lived in San Diego about a decade ago. Speaking of Slater in San Diego, if you end up in San Diego again, check out Slater's fifty fifty restaurant in Liberty Station. Their base burger is fifty percent ground beef and fifty percent ground bacon. Great COVID or hangover recovery food. Well, I will say that does sound delicious. What do you think, producer Mark? Uh, I've never heard of 50% ground bacon 
and yeah. 50% ground beef, but that has to be good. I, ha- I have had that before. There's a restaurant on Long Island uh, that does that, and it is fantastic. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, like, amazing. I, I, I want to make it myself now. I'm very uh You have to get a meat excited. grinder. In Midtown, there's a, not, not too far from where I live, there's a place called the Bacon Bar, and I've always wanted to go, and they serve all different kinds of bacon as the food, of course, but also bacon drinks, but it has been shut down uh, for COVID, and so I have not been able to go. I have always wanted to try that as well. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard good things. The best thing at the Trump International, or the Trump uh, Hotel in D.C. was their f- flamed or flambéed uh, bacon strips. It's like $25 or something, but they have these big, thick bacon strips, and they take out a little uh, a miniature flamethrower, but it's not really called that. But, you know, it's like a little flame gun, and they uh, sear them right in front of you. They're already cooked, but then they kind of blacken them a little bit in front of you, and they're, and they're maple glazed. Oh, so good, so good. Highly recommend. Um, Fernando, sorry to hear you got COVID. I got it last June, and I didn't lose sense of taste or smell, but the shortness of breath was brutal when combined with the fever and fatigue. My parents just got it, and my father actually has two different variants at the same time, which I wasn't sure could happen. His symptoms were like mine, but my mother is doing fine. Crazy. Oh, Fernando, man, I'm glad you're you're okay. It sounds like your family's doing okay, too, with it. And, yeah, it's, uh, you know, COVID is rough. Uh, and I've, you know, I've always said that based on everything that I had read and, and then heard about and friends of mine that had had it. You know, COVID is definitely something you want to you want to avoid getting it if you can. But it's very hard to really avoid. That's the point. You know, of course, I want to never get a cold, but I'm going to get colds. I want to never get the flu, but I've gotten the flu. Uh, It's really hard to avoid these things. And even with the mitigation measures, uh, it's still very, very challenging to avoid it. Producer Mark, have you gotten the vaccine yet? Yeah, I'm fully vaccinated as of two weeks ago. That's right. I thought so. I remember this now. Look at you. Look at you. And I got the Johnson and Johnson. So it was only one shot. Look at you, fancy man, with your vaccine, huh? You're all good yeah, now. I can buddy. go places and do stuff. You're like the bi- you're like the bionic man. You're like Thor and Ragnarok or something. You know, you could take on anybody. I can breathe whatever air I like. You can breathe whatever yeah. air you like. Yeah. It, you didn't? Did you have any um, uh, you know, rash or any pain or anything as a result of the shot? No. I mean, my arm hurt for a while, but that's normal with any shot. So other than that, I was completely fine. Yeah, usually you get that little bit of arm soreness. Yeah, look, I, I would get a I would get a vaccine pretty, you know, not not that soon because I'm I'm still you know beat the virus, so I don't really need it right now. But I would get one. Some I know a lot of people listening to the show say they're not going to get one. I'm just look, you know, I, I think it should be an individual's choice. I will just say this: if you are over sixty, please get the vaccine. Please get the vaccine. Okay, if you're over sixty, please do it. Um, if you are under sixty. I mean, I'm going to do it, um, uh, but I'm by no means suggesting that people should be made to do it, nor do I think that people, uh, you know, I, I can understand why if you're at the lower risk category, you know, you, you, you're going to hold off on a uh, hold off a bit or whatever. So I get it. But I'm just telling you, I'm doing it, folks. See, I'm, I'm just giving it to you straight. I'm going to get it when I can. And I and I really do ask the folks listening to this who are over. And I'd say over 50, really give it a lot of thought. And over 60, I'd say, please do it. Please get it. You don't, you don't want to deal with this. I mean, I'm a pretty young, healthy guy. I don't smoke. I barely drink. I, you know, 
okay, I put on like 10 or 15, but I, I don't think it's considered a comorbidity to have a little bit of a dad bod. And, uh, you know, and I got wrecked by this thing for 10 days. So, you know, I'm just trying to help you avoid, even if you think you'd be fine if you got it, and you probably would by the numbers, you know, you, you don't want to, you don't want to deal with this for 10 days if you can avoid it. So anyway, I'm glad producer Mark got it. Uh, and, and I'm recommending the folks now, it gets trickier when people say, what about kids? Because, I mean, kids seem to clear this thing very quickly. So, I, you know, that's a, and with no symptoms, really. So that's a whole other thing. But we're not talking about that right now. I, I don't, you know, I'm just going with what I know and telling you what I think. Uh, Kev, hey, Buck, I'm in Columbia, South Carolina. I think you would like it here. Uh, I'm in the Midlands of South Carolina. Barbecue means pulled pork. Our sauce is a tangy mustard base. Give it a shot. Also, we eat boiled peanuts here. They're sold roadside, and they're unregulated by the health department. It's like redneck edamame. Shields high. Love you, man. Praying for you. Thanks, Kev. Uh, Redneck edamame. Have you ever heard that before, Producer Mark? That's a first. No, but that's hilarious. Yeah, I kind of like it. (laughs) I kind of like that. Um, and a tangy mustard base, um, tangy mustard base. That sounds pretty good. Are, have, have you ever had, uh, have you ever had this form of barbecue? I'm sure I have, but I definitely prefer barbecue sauce. Cause I see this is what I was gonna say. I think the tangy mustard base, I would like the barbecue sauce style. I love, I tried the North Carolina vinegar sauce and I couldn't get I couldn't get that excited about it. I had a lot, and I love my North Carolina folks listening. I love the state, great people, but I, I just the Texas barbecue, the Nashville barbecue, the Dallas barbecue I've had, it definitely beat what I had uh, when I was making my way to burn North Carolina. I'm just saying, better better barbecue. It's all I'm just I, I keep it real, folks. I keep it real. All right, more roll call to get us going for the weekend here. Chip writes, come on, Buck. Marco finally finds some huevos, and you got to diss him for his statement? What he said was true and needed to be said. Pick on the left, not when someone on our side finally finds their voice and speaks the truth. My only criticism is he should have thrown Disney in there. Chip, I wasn't picking on him. Uh, and, and by the way, you're, you're completely, uh, I, I completely understand what you're saying, and I, I think you have a point. I wasn't picking on Marco. What I'm saying, though, is, Pointing to uh, pointing to corporate hypocrisy when it comes to U.S. policy and Chinese policy is never going to get us anywhere, really. It doesn't that they're not shamed by this. They just view China as something else. It's different. You know, they, they don't care. And and it doesn't move the needle here politically for them. So they don't feel like, oh, you know, they they embrace a philosophy of global moral relativism, and that's not going to change. That's all I'm trying to say. That doesn't it doesn't land with the impact we want it to. When we say, oh, the NBA panders to China. Yeah, they do. But that's not going to stop them from pandering to China relative to the political stances they'll take here in the U.S. But Chip, you know, f- fair point, you know, and I, I wasn't. When Marco says good things, I should say Marco says good. I didn't I shouldn't have called him Lil Marco. It just gets stuck in my head because that's what Trump called him. I, I've interviewed Marco Rubio a few times. I got to say he was very he was very professional and, and, and pleasant. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I I'm not anti Mark. I am not anti Marco Rubio as a politician. I don't know the guy personally, obviously, but I'm not anti Marco Rubio as a politician. I think he's got some skills. And I think that, uh, you know, sometimes he's on the right side of things. And when he is, I like to say so. 
you know, and so there's that. Uh, Chris, I was listening to your show this evening. You were asked why all these woke bag companies were condemning Georgia's uh, new Jim Eagle bill. We're going to see a lot more of this, unfortunately, as they're frantically trying to raise their ESG score. It stands for Environmental Social Governance. Our credit scores will go out the window. will be replaced by this new wokeness score. The almighty Facebook currently has a low ESG score because they're not doing enough to silence the deplorables. So the bar is set pretty high. Love the show and listen every chance I get. Thanks for all the hard work. Um, uh, Chris, I've never heard of an ESG score before. So maybe you're, you're uh, educating me on something. And I thank you for writing in and telling me about this. And uh, we got time, I think, for one more here before we get to the weekend. Jeremiah. Hey, Buck, question. If businesses are opening up all across the country and aren't currently requiring proof of vaccination now when most people are not vaccinated, then what is the justification for requiring proof later when most people will be vaccinated? Well, Jeremiah, they just they'll move the goalposts on this like they do with everything. That's the way that this works. They'll find some way to say that, oh, the data changed or something. And so you got to do what we tell you to do and, you know, shut up and do what we tell you. That's basically what it's going to come down to. That's what you can expect from all this. So, yeah, um, I think we are heading toward a lot of states where there are vaccine passports, at least required by businesses, if not required by the state health authorities. But we will fight against all the madness, friends, as we always do. Have a great weekend. Talk to you Monday. Shields high.